You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Okay, let's pray together. We'll get started. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for all that it teaches us. We're grateful yeah, even that it teaches us about our sin. Uh, we, we need to understand our sin and what that means to you, that we could, we could please you and we could learn how to, to avoid our sin, uh, learn how to mortify it and put it to death. Lord, I pray that we would uh, take these things to heart, that we would be sanctified as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we'll start with a little review of last time. If you weren't here last time, then this won't really help you. Should have been here last time. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, so first of all, we talked about sin. Now, you can still stay, though. I mean, you might get something out of it. We, we started talking about sin. What is sin? You remember from last time? Lack of conformity to what? To God's will, lack of conformity to God's will, to God's precepts. Uh, we saw First John three four. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Okay. And why is sin so bad? What makes sin so bad? We talked about that. It's against God. If it was just against a person or something, it wouldn't be so bad. But it's against God, and because God is so high and holy and mighty, sin is ugly. We looked at the state of mankind at creation. So Adam and Eve, before the fall, what was their spiritual state? That says perfect. Would you say perfect? (laughs) Yeah, right. Moving away from that. Subject to fall. So. They were human as they were meant to be human. So, for them, what does the scripture say that they were? This is when God looked at his creation. They were good. They were very good. And Ecclesiastes said they were what? Thomas? That depends on what you mean. If you mean perfect... Then, I, then no, I mean, they were subject to fall. They were very good, they were upright, but subject to fall. That's really all we can say, right, Jim? Uh, if, if, yeah, if we're defining righteousness by accumulation of good works, then, yeah, a man from dust has no such. But they were created upright, the Bible says, so, and very good, and yet subject to fall. That was the confession. And that's all we can say. So what happened to mankind then at the fall? What happened to mankind? We looked at three different things. That happened. What did we what did we inherit from Adam, in other words? 
Right? They disobeyed. We inherited sin. We inherited sin. We inherited a legal um, judgment, a legal sentence of guilt for Adam's fall. You remember that? So when we talk about original sin, that's what we mean. We inherited from him guilt, the actual guilt for the sin of man as, as our representative. We also inherited the effects of the judgment, the punishment for that sin curse, the, the sin curse, the punishment for his sin, and all that goes along with that. We also inherited a sin nature from Adam. Okay? That's what we looked at last time. Inherited sin, or the original sin, the judgment, and inherited corruption or, or sin nature. We started looking at temptation. Uh, we saw that the church historically has characterized temptation as coming from three sources. you remember those three sources? Flesh, what's the other? The world and the devil. And we saw how those things interact with one another. And then Justin providentially taught on James 1, 13 through 15. We had not coordinated that whatsoever. And he talked about temptation, very well connected. So we'll pick back up here with temptation. Is there anything that you want to ask about from last week? You want to get clarified? Good, because I didn't review anything from last week. Yes, Pat. Right. Yes. Right. Jesus said, no, no man is good. Why do you call me good? No man is good except God the Father. Right. Which is true. Right? No man is good. We've all inherited the sin nature from Adam. We all are that now responsible for our own sin. Our sin is not Adam's. All right, so we're going to start today with part two on temptations. First John 2.16, it's a little bit different way of categorizing the temptations that come. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the verse lists out those three types of temptations and says that they're all that is in the world. Number one is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. The temptations that come from within us, from within our flesh. The desires of the eyes, those things that we see and perceive in the world, that interact with our flesh, like Justin talked about last week. And then the boastful pride of life. Our pride, our sense of autonomy. One question in when you study sin is what people try to figure out What's the core of sin? What is the core of sin? And you know, there's different thoughts about it, but it usually comes down to pride or autonomy of wanting to be in charge yourself, not, not subjecting yourself to God's will. So this is kind of that core, the putting ourselves in this life above God and above our future life, this desire for autonomy. We see the same set of temptations in the garden, Genesis 3, this is verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Good for food, lust of the flesh, delight to the eyes, 
desire of the eyes, desire to make one wise. That's the boastful pride of life. She was more interested in wisdom in this life and some worldly wisdom than in obedience to God's word. We see the same in Matthew 4. I don't know if anybody can see that at all. You got a Bible if you want to. Same thing. Matthew 4. Uh, start with verses, the first four verses. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we start with the lusts of the flesh. Hunger. Satan appeals to hunger. The lusts of the flesh. Then the devil took him into the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here Satan appeals to... The pride of life. Show them who you are. You say you're... Show everybody who you are, if you are who you say you are. And what else does he do here? This is another trick that Satan uses. Apart from the temptation, he's using another little trick. He's challenging him, right? He challenges his pride and says, I bet you can't do this, trying to appeal to that. But he uses scripture. Yeah, he twists it. He misapplies the scripture. Misapplication of scripture. Another trick. Yeah, we'll come back and look at the, the, the garden as well. He did the same thing to Adam and Eve. He twists God's word. Actually outright denies it. We'll, we'll look in there. Then he keeps going. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. The desires of the eyes, you can have it all. All you have to do is worship me and you can have it all. Which, of course, Justin talked about last week. He couldn't deliver. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he didn't own it. Uh, but like Justin says, don't get your theology from the devil. All the words fake people do that. Like those words the devil said and they'll use those to base their theology on. Uh, okay, but you see that he likes to question God's word. Let's go to Genesis Genesis 3, Brian was mentioned a second ago. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? This is the classic mantra of liberal theologians, emergence. Has God said? Has he really said? I mean, and then twist the scripture. Did he say you couldn't eat from any tree of the garden? I mean, that seems kind of restricted, right? He never said you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden. There's one. That's what he does. But here he's tempting her. And the woman said to the serpent, 
From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay, so here he's appealing to the lust of the flesh with the fruit, putting things in her path, appealing to the pride. God knows if you eat like this, you'll be like God. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> Kill you. Well, he denies that, right? We have a whole religion, American religion, that's built on this premise that you get to be like God. The LDS Church, right? You get to be you get to be a god of your own planet. Well, that's appealing, isn't it? it? Appeals to the pride. You get to be God. You get to be God. This is this old satanic lie. But look what he he actually here he actually here completely denies God's word. He actually calls God a liar. He says, "Oh, God's saying you'll die. you're not going to die." It's it's not, you're not going to die. Eve herself mischaracterizes God's command, doesn't she? See what she does there? Yeah, God didn't say you can't touch it. It might be a good idea not to touch it. But he didn't say that. He said you can't eat it. So by the way, this is a little side note. Do you think there was magic in the fruit? Like they, they ate the fruit and then suddenly their eyes were opened because there was some sort of magic in the fruit? Or do you think the fruit was just fruit? Like maybe it was a pomegranate. I guess you can't, it probably couldn't be a pomegranate because you can't just bite into a pomegranate. It takes work to eat a pomegranate. This, maybe it was an apple, who knows? A nice fresh pear, a nectarine. Do you think it was just something like that? Or... Do you think it actually was some sort of magical, mystical, special fruit? What's that? It's a question of obedience. It's not, there's no magic in the fruit. The fruit didn't open their eyes. It was the sin that opened their eyes. It was the, the sin that caused their conscience to begin to move and to say, you are in trouble. Right? First time for them. So no, there's no magic in the fruit. It wasn't like, you know, a Disney apple that knocks out somebody or any of that stuff. Uh, okay. So there's plenty, there's plenty in Scripture about the temptations and the, the strategies that the devil uses. There's plenty. And if you're, if you're into your Bible, you understand those things, and they're fairly basic. It comes at us with the same things over and over again. All right, so we'll look at strategies for dealing with those here in a second. But I want to kind of connect back up to what we did last week. We saw again that the effects of the fall of Adam, we gained, the, uh, we gained, we received a sentence of guilt for, our, for sin because Adam was our representative. We got that. We also saw that we inherited a sin nature. So I want to look to see What's then the impact of our salvation on those things? Okay, so the first question is, do we still bear the guilt of Adam's sin? Do we still have that? That judgment against us? No, that's for sure. The scriptures tell us that very clearly. This is Romans 5. 
But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, here's the key part, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Oops, went too far. Okay, those bolded parts. The free, from the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. Justification. Or made righteous. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Keep going. Verse 18. So then as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. Okay, that's the judgment for Adam's sin. Even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. You're going to ask me about the all? No, I thought somebody would. Yeah, Price. That's the question, yeah. So Adam's sin, Adam's sin applied to all mankind, because he's the father of all mankind. But believers have a new representative head, a new federal head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we gain the imputed righteousness of Christ. Right? It's always imputation. This, this chapter is about imputation from either Adam's sin or the righteousness of Christ. So... Through the abundance, uh, uh, verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. We are the many. If you've put your, repetitive your sins and put your faith in Christ, you've gained the righteousness of Christ. <laughs> Why did I say that? I thought for sure that was what Bryce was going to say. So this is one of those uses of all where we have to be careful to what it, what it means. We see, I think, very clearly, if you back up to verse 17, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. And then verse 19, uh, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So I think this, this all is all without distinction. He's saying all Gentiles and Jews together, all without distinction. Not all without exception. We're not universalists. That's clearly taught uh, against throughout Scripture. All right. So, do we have the judi- judicial, that's a hard word for me to say, judicial sentence of guilt that was ours through Adam? No. Not if we put our faith in Christ. Our sentence has been changed from guilty to righteous, to innocent, because of Christ. All right? Does that make sense? So what about inherited corruption? Do we still have a sin nature? This one's a little more complicated. <laughs> I don't, uh, we do still have a sin nature. We do. We haven't lost our sin nature. You see that very clearly. But there is a change in that sin nature. So if I ask the question, do we have a sin nature, the answer is yes. If I ask the, if I ask the question, are Christians totally depraved? 
The answer is no. Okay, so that's why when I say yes and no, that's what I mean. So this is 1 Peter 1, three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. We are born again. Born again. So what does it mean to be born again? Words regenerated. Made new. You're different. And one of the differences is you're no longer totally depraved. You don't, you're no longer totally unable to respond to Christ. That's what regeneration is. It makes you alive to spiritual things. Okay? So that's a difference. This is Ephesians 2, the back end of Ephesians 2, 17-24. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Now, Paul's making a contrast here. You no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's total depravity. That's a description of total depravity. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is is in Jesus. But in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. Notice that, your former manner of life. You lay aside the old self. It's being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's who you are. If, you're, if you put your faith in Christ, that is who you are. You are, you're, you're this new self, which is in the likeness of God. It's been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's not a totally depraved person. That, we're not totally depraved. We've been regenerated. This is Romans, oh, see, I did that again. Romans 6. I tried to make the font bigger and it ended up not clicking enough. Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. How about that? That's pretty good. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. We are no longer slaves of sin. That has real important practical application. You are not a slave to sin. Okay? That's not who you are as a believer. You are freed from sin. You are freed from the power of sin. And you know, well, I still sin. Yeah, but you're freed from the power of sin. When you sin, you're not powerless to avoid it. Anytime a temptation or an opportunity to sin arises, you don't have to do it. You don't. You have the power to say no to sin. Something you didn't have before you were regenerated. Right? We're no longer subject to the overwhelming power of sin. It's not overwhelming anymore. Now, I'm not teaching sinless perfection. We, we will fail. We fail. We will sin. We do sin. We still have that sin nature. Yeah. But that's no excuse. Like, oh, man, I still got that sin nature. 
I better go do the sin because... No, that is just not who we are anymore. It is not. If you read Ephesians, like Paul gives you the first three chapters. This is who you are in Christ. It's amazing and high. And then he tells you, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. He tells us how to do that. Uh, this is sanctification. It's uneven. It's uneven. It's not, right? It, I should not do it this way because that looks... So for you, it's like this, right? Yeah, okay. But it's not a straight, like going up a ramp. Sanctification is not like that. It's like going up hills and mountains. It's Eventually, you reach higher elevations, but sometimes you're up and down, right? That's sanctification. That's, that's our life. But we're no longer totally depraved. That's over. Romans 8 9. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If you're a believer, you have the Spirit of Christ. You have the Spirit of God. You're a spiritual being, no longer totally unable. Ephesians 2, you know, we were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We walk in good works. We actually have good works. Totally depraved person is not capable of a truly good work in the sight of God. But believers are. We're different. So we still have inherited corruption. We still have a sin nature. There's no possibility we're going to forget that. It's with us all the time. But you're not a slave to it anymore. You're a slave to Christ. Uh, verse 12 of Ephesians 2 says we were, we were separate from Christ without hope, without God. But we've been brought near to Christ. Okay. Uh, Cornell taught in 1 Corinthians 6. This is verses 9 to 11. Lots of words in here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Were. you, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So that's who you are. That's who you were. This is who you are. We're no longer slaves to sin. I don't think it's biblical to speak of regenerate Christians as totally depraved. Although we still have a sin nature. (laughs) Times when we act like it and for seasons. But we're able. We are able. All right, I got 15 minutes. Let's look at a few things that the scriptures say about dealing with temptation and sin. Say it again, didn't I? First Peter 2.11. That's all right, you have a Bible. First Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Sin is at war with you. It wants you dead. 
It wants to destroy you. Sin is at war. Uh, the word means to serve as a soldier, to engage in a serious and long-lasting war. Not a skirmish, it's not a fist fight. this is a war. Okay? Your fleshly desires are engaged in warfare with you. What's the reasonable response to a declaration of war against you? Ignore it, hope they go away. All right, return the favor. You want war? I'll give you war. Right? That's got to be our attitude. Uh, let's look at a few more of these verses. This is Romans 8.13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death the deeds of the body. Kill them. Right? Kill them. Mortify them. These are violent words. These are aggressive words. These are grown-up Adult words. This is how our, what our response to sin is to be. Romans 13, 12 through 14. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Stop it. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Engage in sanctification. Become like your master. And make no provision for sin. Just don't give it an opportunity. I get tired of this sometimes, right? Where somebody's having a problem with some sin. It's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not talking about smoking. I'm not, I'm not weighing in on the morality of smoking or anything like that. But I had a friend who said, hey, will you pray for me? I really want to quit smoking. With a pack of cigarettes in his front pocket. You don't want to quit smoking. Right? Make no provision for it. We'll come back to that. Psalm 119.11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. You want to avoid sin, you have to be in the Word of God. Know what God thinks of what you're doing. Know what God wants you to do. It, it puts you in mind of things that are greater and higher. Right? Helps your focus be on the right things, on eternity, on Christ. Luke 22:40. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Be, in, be engaged in prayer. Lord, keep me away from things that might tempt me. Pray for those things. 1 Corinthians 6.18. You had a lesson on that a long ago. Flee immorality. Flee. Flee. Remember Joseph? He got out of there. Flee. Run. David sat and watched and watched and watched and watched. Flee. Right? How serious is it? This is Matthew 18. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for your inner life crippled or lame than have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. Jesus said that. It's not hyperbole either. 
I see nothing in the text that leads me to believe this is exaggeration. That it's anything but clear direction. You can remember who it's written to. Right? It's, it's written to the disciples, but this is prior to Christ's resurrection, it's prior to them being saved. If you're an unbeliever, if you're currently bound for hell, this is really good advice. Cut your hands off. Take your eyes out. Don't pile up so much sin. Keep the temperature down. All right, this is good advice. But all my sins are forgiven. All my sins have been atoned for. It would do me no good to cut off my hand or to pluck out my eye. Right, so that's why I didn't do it. But it tells it, it points out the gravity of our sin, doesn't it? How serious we should take our sin. Just think about this. We, we started off in our doing biblical anthropology. We talked about people as image bearers, man as image bearer. You, you're an image bearer of God. What does it say to creation? In creation, the Bible says the angels, for the sake of the angels, the angels seem to watch and learn about things about God and salvation from his image bearers. What does it teach the creation? If they got their image of what God was like by watching you, what would that say about God? Yeah. We have a responsibility as image bearers to bear the image. If you lie, God lies. God's a liar. We would, not, we would never want to say that. But yet as image bearers, we do. That's how we sometimes reflect the image of God. Blasphemies. We speak to the creation. So let's think about a sin for a second. Pornography. Pornography is a scourge in the, in, in the world today and in the church. Okay? And I'm generally speaking to young people. You're an image bearer of God. God is a pornographer? Is that what you want to say? That's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's a lie. Okay? You don't want to do that. We've got to kill it. We've got to mortify it. We make war with it. We give no opportunity for the flesh. If you have a problem with that, get rid of your computer. Cancel your internet. Right? Oh, that's too drastic. Okay. Fine. Cut off your uh, hands and pluck out your eyes. You... You got to take it seriously. I don't even know if you can see this or not. This is a little survey that was done. I thought it was a current survey because people are currently talking about it, but it turns out it's an old survey. It's from 2008. Uh, it's done by a company called Gray Matter Research, and they asked people what they would define as sin. Now, 13% of people said there's no such thing. Okay, so throw them out. This is people who either identified themselves as evangelical or, or did not. And I just put a list of ten there. If you want to look this up, there's uh, quite a few more. And this is the percent that said this thing was sin. Gossip, interestingly enough, for evangelicals, was the highest 
the, the thing that was most often cited as sin, gossip. Well, good. I mean, it is, right? What I want to know is how 2% of so-called evangelicals would say, nah, it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. I don't get that at all. Having an abortion. 6% of so-called evangelicals really believe that getting an abortion is not a sin. I, pornography. 7% think that it's not a sin. 7%. I don't know how many people are here, maybe 50. That would mean three and a half. Let's round up to four. Would think pornography is not a sin. So if, if you're, if that, it is. Right? Read Matthew 5. Uh, hard drugs. Using hard drugs, 91% of evangelicals say that's a sin. Well, they're all illegal. A sin. Uh, getting drunk, only 90% of evangelicals think getting drunk is a sin. Yeah, maybe it's definitions. I'm not talking about using alcohol at all. That's, that's all. That question was also asked. I'm talking about getting drunk. It says getting drunk. I don't know. There, there is the verse that says, do not get drunk. I don't know. Maybe that would somehow come into play. Uh, homosexual thoughts, only 76% of so-called evangelicals think homosexual thoughts are sin. Where does that come from? <laughs> Bad teaching. I think people think that God doesn't judge your thoughts. That's why he gave us the 10th commandment. Do not covet, because that's a thought. It's clear that he judges our thoughts. We just don't take it seriously enough. So you, you are God's image bearer. You are God's child, if you're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You call him Lord and Savior. You can't testify to the creation that God is immoral and unholy. You can't do that. You have to put it to death. You have to flee from it. You have to get help. To talk to other believers. You have to do what you have to do. But let's make war with the sin. It's making war with us. Uh, last thing I wanted to do, and we'll stop. On the back of your handout, there's a quote from a little book. It's this little book. It's called The Mischief of Sin. It is a little book. It's not a real quick read, but it is a little book. And in the back uh, is uh, a little bit on the Lord's Supper. This is from Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan from the 1600s. And so you know he knows how to write when you say he's Puritan from the 1600s. And this is what he wrote. You have it there. Was Christ's body broken? Then we may behold sin odious in the red glass of Christ's sufferings. It is true, sin is to be abominated since it turned Adam out of paradise and threw the angels down to hell. Sin is the peace breaker. It's like an incendiary in the family that sets husband and wife at variance. It makes God fall out with us. Sin is the birthplace of our sorrows and the grave of our comforts. But that which may most of all disfigure the face of sin and make it appear abominable is this. It crucified our Lord. 
It made Christ veil his glory and lose his blood. If a woman saw the sword that killed her husband, how, how hateful would the sight of it be to her? Do we count that sin light which made Christ's soul heavy unto death? Can that be our joy which made the Lord Jesus a man of sorrows? Oh, let us look upon sin with indignation. When in temptation comes to sin, let us say as David, Is not this the blood of, sin, uh, blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? So is not this the sin that poured out Christ's blood? Let our hearts be enraged against sin. When the senators of Rome showed the people Caesar's bloody robe, they were incensed against those that slew him. Sin has rent the white robe of Christ's flesh and dyed it a crimson color. Let us then seek to be avenged of our sins. Under the law, if an ox gored a man so that he died, the ox was to be killed. Sin has gored and pierced our Savior. Let it die the death. What a pity is it that to live that to live which would not suffer Christ to live. They don't write like that anymore, do they? That's good stuff. Right? We understand. Yes, we've been our sins have been atoned for. Our sins are covered with the blood of Christ. But he had to die for them. So we ought to hate them. We ought to hate them. So let's do that. Let's hate our sin and make war with it. Okay, let's pray. Father, we do hate our sin. Uh, we hate it because you hate it. We hate that it caused the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that was the answer. And that glorious and wise and loving, beautiful answer it was. And yet we hate that we put you there. So Lord, we come here, we're here in part because we, we want to overcome sin. We, we want to worship you. We want to have in our minds and in our eyes the things of God. We want to have eternity in mind. And so we come here to glorify you and worship you. And pray, Lord, as we go to the, surface, to the service that we would do that, that we would pray with all of our hearts, that we would sing with all of our hearts, that we would listen well and glorify you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.